This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Now today I'm going to be focusing on the first couple of verses from letter number 14 on the reasons for withdrawing from the world. And I'm just going to be focusing on these two verses because there's there's a really interesting idea that he sets up here. We, we will continue discussing the similar theme throughout the entire letter, but the, the theme that he's setting up here in these first couple of verses is this idea, uh, you might remember we talked earlier in, in this series about Seneca's thoughts on the superiority of the soul, and now he's talking about the kind of, you might say, the inferiority of the body or of the flesh. And this is a really interesting idea, uh, one that really, uh, it, it has played a significant role in so many religious structures, right? Because what what religion often tries to do is to discover the natural hierarchy that exists within the cosmos, right? You know, you think if, if God is the highest possible member of that hierarchy, then what's next down from him, right? And, and uh, often there is this idea that humans are kind of, uh, you know, next to God because we have that spark of divinity, or, you know, you might say the soul or consciousness, that awareness, uh, and so Seneca believes that the soul, you know, is that that uh, you know that that supreme part of the human being. But then he talks about the body and how it relates, I guess, to the to that hierarchy, and and that's what he's doing here, essentially. At least that is my interpretation. So I'll read this out, and then what I want to do is I I want to talk a bit about what he says, and then I want to bring in uh, one or two Bible verses as well, which I think uh, give us an interesting insight uh, in order to 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 further our understanding of this concept. Uh, so anyway, he says the following quote. I confess that we all have an inborn affection for our body. I confess that we are entrusted with its guardianship. I do not maintain that the body is not to be indulged at all, but I maintain that we must not be slaves to it. He will have many masters who makes his body his master, who is over-fearful on its behalf, who judges everything according to the body. We should conduct ourselves not as if we ought to live for the body, but as if we could not live without it. Our too great love for the body makes us restless with fears, burdens us with cares, and exposes us to insults. Virtue is held too cheap by the man who counts his body too dear. We should cherish the body with the greatest care, but we should also be prepared when reason, self-respect, and duty demand the sacrifice to deliver it even to the flames. End quote. All right, so just within these couple of verses, there are so many interesting ideas floating around. So we're probably going to spend some time here uh, trying to pick them all apart. And and honestly, uh, it's it's difficult to think about these ideas that Seneca is talking about because we don't have that old world perspective. We don't have the same 
uh, the, the same worldview that they had back then. And it's really hard for us in our modern societies with the, you know, very materialistic tendencies and, and, and philosophies to, to, to come to an understanding of what they were trying to get at with, with writing things like this and, and talking about the hierarchy of the soul and the body and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and so I'm, I'm going to do my best to, to break it down how I see it. And, and if you think that I'm doing a good job, then great. And if not, then let me know and we can have a discussion about it. But uh, so let's dive into the first couple of lines. He says, I confess that we all have an inborn affection for our body. And I confess that we are all entrusted with its guardianship. I do not maintain that the body is not to be indulged at all, but I maintain that we must not be slaves to it. He will have many masters who makes his body his master. So it's important here to look back to what we've learned already from Seneca's previous epistles. And uh, and what I think is interesting is, is firstly, with, with reading Seneca's epistles, I think that you want to, well, at least my experience so far, is that you want to look at this as a narrative, as if Seneca is trying to figure something out for himself, but he's also trying to bring you along on that journey and give you clues along the way to the narrative structure that fits into the whole uh, work of, of these epistles. Right, and uh, and I think that to, to the extent that you can do that, I think that you get so much more out of it, which is why I want to dive back into a little bit of what he's said before, right? Because you know he talks about the superiority of the soul, obviously, but he also has that middle way approach to life, right? And we remember that he he says that you know the the, the public should uh, understand your way of life, right? But internally, you should be completely different. Right, and so he he doesn't believe that we should just uh, disregard what would be considered to the Stoics as kind of externals, like like the body. You know, um, he thinks that we should take care of the body, we should nourish it and nurture it and take care of it. Uh, and and he actually gives us a clue later on to why we should do that. But uh, it is that kind of middle way approach that says, listen, this this isn't the most important thing. You should take care of it, though. You should take care of it and nourish it, but it's not the most important thing. And what he says here is, you know, he will have many masters who makes his body his master, who is over-fearful on its behalf, who indulges everything according to the body. And so there's kind of three ideas in this sentence. Firstly, talking about the man who makes his body his master and therefore has many masters. And then there's the person who, uh, at the same time, is guided by the fears of the body, uh, you know, and then there's the person who judges everything according to the body. What is the link that links all of these ideas together? It's a belief of the totality and the superiority of the flesh, of the body, right? And as we already know, that's not what Seneca believes is 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 the best way to live life, right? It's not a totality of the body. It's it's the superiority of the soul. You might think of it as the soul being the upper and the body being the lower and bringing them into harmony with each other, kind of like the yin and the yang, right? Uh, you could even think of it as chaos and order, the soul representing order and the body representing chaos, the thing that decays. And so, all you have to do is maybe spark your imagination for a moment and think, what would it mean for you in your life if you saw your body as the most important thing? Or you saw, not necessarily as the most important thing, but you were guided by your body as the the supreme guide to your life, right? You might think that, okay, well, maybe you would be horrified of the idea of death because if the body is all that is, then you better protect it to the last moment before you die because that's it. 
you know, may, maybe you would be guided by gluttony and and pride and anger and uh, and and all these desires that kind of come from our body, right? That that kind of push us in certain directions. That's definitely one of the things that Seneca means there by somebody who you know makes the body his master has many masters because there is no end to the desires and the and the vice that can come about uh, by putting the body and the flesh at the highest point in your own hierarchy. And, you know, just as a, a little side example, right, you know, I, I come from the fitness industry as well. And so, you know, one of the things that you definitely can see when you actually stop and think about this is that, uh, you know, virtue and vice uh, can really take over the body in 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 interesting ways, you know, like if, if, for example, you go in there and you are guided by a, you know, go to the gym, that is, and you are guided by a motivation to be virtuous in everything that you're doing in the gym and to do things in the right place at the right time, to do the right amount of reps and, and you know, to really make a good go of, of making your body healthy, right, then you can get to a really healthy place. And that's a result of virtue, right? That's a result of uh, putting your soul in the highest seat of judgment and saying, I'm not just going to go in there and do whatever. I'm going to go in there with a plan and I'm going to put my body in order. That is the soul having having dominion over the body and actually changing the structure of the body. It's very amazing to see that transformation happen in people. And what ends up happening is that they they put their body together and it brings about a harmony in their life because their body is healthy and it's in the proper hierarchy, meaning they control how their body looks and feels and not in some sort of prideful way, but they put it together and you can see how much it transforms people's lives when they realize that they can uh, sit in a higher seat of judgment and that they can make the best decisions and that by making the better decisions and not being governed by the desires of the body, but being governed by the desire to to be healthy, which you know Seneca might have said was a natural prompting that comes from from the soul, you know, natural reason. Uh, well, you know, when they do that, it transforms almost every aspect of their life, and that's a beautiful thing to see. That is bringing the body into harmony with the soul and creating something beautiful in your life. But the interesting thing is that. The body is the first place often that you see the results of vice, you know, and it's interesting to think of this in relation to, say, the seven deadly sins, you know. Um, you might think of pride and greed and, and lust and envy, you know, and and anger and, and, and laziness, you know, these, these seven deadly sins. One of the first places that all these things manifest themselves is in the body. You know, you can definitely see, uh, you, you know, the results of gluttony in the body, obviously, because you can sit on the couch all week and you can eat chips. And if you do that for long enough, you'll definitely start to see that your body starts to take on a resemblance of what's going on. In, in, in your soul, you know, it's like you've, you've let your soul go a bit, you know, you've, you've stopped caring and, uh, and, and you've, you know, fallen prey to the desires of the body. And now look at how many things we can become addicted to, you know, that our body becomes physically addicted to when we are not careful about our judgment, when we are not careful about maintaining the superiority of the soul over the body.
Right. And one more thought on this from from the industry is an observation that I had is that, and you've probably seen this as well, is that people can really uh, take things way too far when they do, as Seneca is saying here, believe their body to be the most important thing, right? You see some people uh, who are in kind of the fitness industry who will go to the most insane lengths to change their body to make it look how they want it to look, you know, especially within the competitions and everything, you know, injecting their muscles with silicon and, uh, you know, just just the most insane things you could possibly imagine doing to your body in order to make it in a, a look a certain way. And that, that, you know, can absolutely become a disease of the soul where you are kind of addicted to, to making your, you know, to, to changing your body in certain ways, uh, even if it seems like a virtue in something like, you know, bodybuilding, where it's like, hey, the, the idea is we're trying to get to the perfect body here, but then it goes way too far with some people. And again, this is a manifestation of that idea that when you put your body at the, the seat of judgment and your body becomes the most important thing to you, uh, then you can do some absolutely insane things and things that are completely out of alignment with with nature. So anyway, Seneca goes on and he says, We should conduct ourselves not as if we ought to live for the body, but as if we could not live without it. Our too great love for it makes us restless with fears, burdens us with cares, and exposes us to insults. And so again, we see Seneca here creating that middle way for us and saying, listen, we shouldn't act as if it's not important, but, you know, we should live as if we couldn't live without it. That's, that's about the extent to which we want to value the body. And, uh, and I think that that is, that is reasonable, right? You know, and, and I think that this idea that he gives us here, that our too great love of it makes us restless with fears, burdens us with cares, and exposes us to insults, that last one about insults is is so true, right? What's one of the main ways that people become extremely insecure in their lives? It's insecurity about their body, right? And and they really value it so highly and our society values it so highly. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we often say to each other that, you know, what's truly beautiful is on the inside because that's true. That's, again, this is that idea of the superiority of the soul. What's beautiful is on, on the inside. The body is merely the vessel which carries your soul, which is the beautiful thing, right? And so Seneca is encouraging us, listen, look after it as if you couldn't live without it because, you know, for all we know, you couldn't. Uh, but at the same time, just recognize that it's, it's only the vessel which carries the most important thing, which is your soul. And the final couple of sentences that Seneca writes are as follows. Uh, virtue is held too cheap by the man who counts his body too dear. We should cherish the body with the greatest care, but we should also be prepared when reason, self-respect, and duty demand the sacrifice to deliver it even to the flames. And so what we see here is a theme that runs throughout Stoicism, which is uh, living an honorable life right up to the very end, which is the final test, which is the event of your death, right? That is the final test where you discover whether you truly believe in, as Seneca would say, the superiority of the soul or whether you're still very much attached to the vessel which carries it. 
right? And so that's why there, you know, there is this history among the philosophers with, say, Socrates and, and Cato and Seneca of, uh, and you could even take it further to the life of Jesus Christ as well. This 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 history of of dying an honorable death, where where you recognize that the body and the flesh is below the soul in the hierarchy of of nature and and the whole. And again, you know, this is it's hard for us to understand this, and it's hard for me to fully understand this as well because we don't have that old world view. And there's so many different ideas that are nested within this way of talking about death and this way of talking about the body. I even think back to, you know, when I grew up in Mormonism, one of the ultimate uh, ideas of Mormonism is this idea of eternal life. You know, once you gained a certain understanding uh, of, of the atonement of Jesus Christ, you would you would gain eternal life, right? And uh, and And you have to think, well, Listen, whether or not that is a, a, a true idea, uh, it certainly seems true that if you had a framework in your mind that allowed you to recognize that, uh, that death was not the finality of your life, right? That the soul took the higher realm in the hierarchy of being and that the body was merely a vessel for your soul to come to earth and, and to, to grow and to learn and experience and, and see and, and feel, right? If, if that was your worldview, maybe it would, or at least maybe it should give you an extra confidence when it comes to the event of your death, right? It should bring about a state of being where you are directed towards the correct aims because, you know, you're focused on the superiority of your soul and then the next level above that and the next level above that and you start to identify yourself with the biggest possible thing, which you might think of as God, uh, rather than the body, which is the lower, uh, which is the chaos element of, 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 of humanity. And it's an interesting idea to grapple with. You know, I'm I'm just throwing ideas across here. Um, you know, seeing what sticks. But it's 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 more like I'm, I'm I'm trying to grapple with these ideas and give you things to think about, things to meditate on, because it's truly interesting. And I want to read something from the Bible because this idea that Seneca brings in here at the end is so unbelievably interesting, and we really we really do not know what it means to live a life like this today. He says, you know. We should cherish the body with the greatest care, right? So again, that middle way, we need to care for our body because it is the vessel of our soul. And he says, but we should also be prepared when reason, self-respect and duty demand the sacrifice to deliver it even to the flames. So what he's saying here is that, listen, we need to care for our bodies. We need to cherish our bodies because they are the vessel, right, of our soul. But when our body turns to corrupt the soul, it would be better that you lose the body than to lose your soul. And that is an idea that is very, very much in common with uh, many ideas in, say, the Bible. I want to read you one here where Jesus is talking about lust and how, you know, if, if your body is corrupting you, then it would be better for you to lose parts of your body than for it to keep on corrupting your being, right? And so, he says... And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. 
So, again, there's this idea that, you know, if, if your body or if, if, as he's saying here, parts of your body are corrupting you, corrupting your being, then it would be better that you get rid of those parts of the flesh uh, because nothing is worth the corruption of your being. And so, hopefully, you can see the similarities between what Jesus says there and what Seneca says in his epistle, where, you know, he's talking about if self-respect and reason and duty demand the sacrifice, deliver your body to the flames, even. And that's that's a radical idea, and I think that aside from having a definite answer about what all of this really means, I'd just like to throw it over to you and, and say, listen, this is stuff that I'm trying to figure out as well, and I want you to meditate on this and, and what it means for you in your life. And, um, you know, do you feel that there is often a difference between being guided by the superior soul and being guided by the kind of lower body? Do you experience that kind of difference in your life? And if so, how does it feel when you are being, you know, a slave to your body? And how does it feel to you when, when you are being guided by the judgment of the soul or of, of, of your conscience? You might think of it like that. You know, I want you to grapple with these questions and have a think about what all this means for you in your own life. And I think that's a great path to uh, self-discovery and philosophical understanding. And it's certainly uh, something that I'm uh, going to continue to try and do as we, we go through this series. And, uh, I'm, I'm always excited about what we're going to discover next because Seneca's writings are so packed full of interesting wisdom. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I brought the Bible into it today is because I've been very fascinated lately with the commonalities between Seneca's writings and, and those of, of the New Testament. And uh, there's definitely some fascinating overlap there. And I think that uh, it's 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 definitely interesting and useful to see how they relate to each other uh, and to gain the wisdom from both. But um, hopefully we can have more opportunities to do that in the future. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>